Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me I've got Liam. Hello. And we don't have Mitch, but we do have Jello, so if you hear any chirping, that's just audience participation, baby. Or or you can pretend it's Mitch. Take your choice. Or you can pretend it's Mitch, which I'm totally fine with. Maybe he would appreciate feeling as though he's here in spirit. Turns out scheduling can be hard sometimes, but he'll be back next week for what is actually shaping up as a uh, finale of sorts for season two of this show. And then we have season three on the horizon coming that, up. That, that's right. If you guys remember, we ended our first year of movie-based episodes uh, last year. This year around uh, last year around this time with um, the what? What, are we, what was that called? It Corey? was Buckaroo Banzai and across the eighth dimension, journeying in the, in adventures, the, of the, the adventures of the adventures of the Brown. Right. You know that that sequel that. Uh, of that story that everyone knows, Buckaroo Banzai. The Adventures and, uh, of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, one of many Buckaroo Banzai adventures. That's what I heard, but if, if I recall, as we were talking about it, it seemed like it maybe actually, I couldn't find any evidence of any other Buckaroo Banzai movies. So. Sure sounds like a sequel, and they set one up, it so does. I can only assume they exist. That's right. So so next week, Corey and I and and Mitch, we hope, will be talking about a movie that uh, I'm pretty sure this one's a sequel. I mean, I haven't looked too deep into it, but sure, it sure does sound like a sequel based on the title. So so they that'll be fun. Have, they wouldn't have called it that had it not been a title, which we will reveal at the end of this episode. That's well, right. Now you gotta and, listen to the end. And then after that, of course, we're gonna do a, a big top 10 episode, and that'll cap off the season proper. That's sort of our our in-between season special, and that'll be a lot of fun. So so this week and the next two weeks coming up are gonna be huge. And then the week after that, of course, it's like a season three premiere, so it'll be huge. And uh, then every week after that, we'll, we'll also be huge because we just get huger <laughs> every time. Um. And to ring in the end of the season, uh, we broke format this time a little bit. Potentially the most we've broken format to date. Because no, we say that every time. There's no way it's always true. Anyway, th- this week, Cor- Corey and I watched the movie on mute. <laughs> we did watch it on mute. Also, uh, it's not a sequel or a reboot or a remake. It's the original one. Which, put your pitchforks and torches away. I know that's like the whole reason we do this show is to not watch the original one. I get it. But this felt like a, a worthwhile decision because it's the least popular iteration of this thing. And the two things, as far as I understand, are fairly tonally distinct. That's right. And you got to remember, they're only five years apart in creation. And so plenty of people, I think it's a technicality, but plenty of people will hear about this movie and be like, oh, that well, that must have came after the TV show started. It's weird that that's out there. But no, this this is the original. It's the same sort of thing I wanted to do when I had the initial idea to tackle the troll franchise, which we did for our 100th episode. I figured that we would do a spin on our, our concept and we would talk about the original troll because in that case, everyone knows about troll too and no one really thinks about the original. So this is the same sort of thing where it's still... 
you know, it's still a forgotten part of a, a franchise, a property, but it just happens to be the first one that happened. And, you know, we'll do this occasionally. It's not we haven't discovered some sort of new rule that we're going to exploit from now on. Like Buffy, <laughs> Buffy has been on the list for a long time. Um, yeah. So- also, you read the title. We haven't said it yet, but it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so occasionally these will come up, but uh, uh, it it just it felt fitting this time. That's this all. feels like a very easily justifiable version of that premise because I didn't even know there was a movie. Never mind go. that it came first. Got to know the rules before you can break them, and boy, do we know the rules! Hey, boy, Corey. do we know the rules! I could write a, a twenty-page thesis on uh, Speed Two alone. <laughs> um. This movie is like, it's weird because I feel like the TV show, which to be clear, I've never seen as far as I know, like a single second of, I feel like that is so popular that this, even if it's got like some kind of cult fan base, like I've never seen people championing this movie. Um, I don't think it's necessarily got a, like a legions of, of ravenous fans it just sort of got buried i feel the same way and i'm a huge fan of the tv series um and uh you know that was all i was looking up for a certain part of high school it was just buffy stuff and uh, yet i had never seen this movie and that's because this movie and its fan base also seem like they're buried by the weight of uh the the seven season long show that came a few years later and the fandom that that created it's not like uh twin peaks fire walk with me uh another sort of cheat that we did uh <laughs> with our concept where we looked at uh a movie based on a tv show um it, it's not like that where you you're a huge fan of the series and so you've got to seek out the movie and you will learn more about it and uh, fans really eat all that stuff up. It is so distinct from the the vision that came afterwards. I mean, part of the part of the understanding of, of Buffy fans that I came across back in high school is that the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie was sort of uh, a rough draft that doesn't actually uh, epitomize what Buffy is supposed to be. I mean, the the writer well of, supposed to be according to one guy. <laughs> a, well, according to the guy that wrote it. I mean, to be <laughs> fair, um, but yeah, he wanted to give it another shot with with the TV show, and so that has sort of created um, a division among fans. Is what I've found. Basically, everyone I have ever talked to who has seen this movie um, is not uh, into the TV show and, and pretty much vice versa. I mean, I'm sure I read from some fans that that like the TV series that have thoughts on the movie because there's going to be people out there that that check out both and have thoughts on it. But the vast majority, whenever I went on Buffy message boards, whenever I was talking to Buffy fans in person, the conversation no- never goes, well, what do you think about the movie? It is a totally totally different thing um i think it's probably its best chance for like conversation uh the movie is those five years before the tv show came out and and then i think the tv show came out just got so huge so quickly and then uh 
the movie and maybe its fans got left behind. I can remember talking to a high school English teacher I had, um, and his first assignment of the year was just write about anything you want. And he just just wanted to get uh, just wanted to get a feel for what we're all interested in, what our writing styles are. And I had just come fresh off a, a seven season watch of Buffy. And I was like, I'm going to write about Buffy. And so I did. And he told me afterwards that he didn't know anything about the show. He only knows the movie from 1992. And I looked at him like he was 100 years old. I was like, what <laughs> are you talking about the movie from 1992? Like I knew it existed. But what do you mean you saw the movie and you didn't watch the show? And and I've heard from a few podcasters who are in the range of like, uh, early 40s where they they also say that they checked out the movie when it came out they liked it and they never got into the tv show so it, it is a very interesting divide there that um i was excited to check out the movie for that reason because i was like okay i'm finally giving this a go let's see what it feels like because i i really didn't have much to go off of despite being such a huge buffy the vampire slayer guy yeah i was excited to give this a try just as like a weird piece of like pop culture ephemera that people don't talk about a lot. And um, I was passingly familiar with the director. And as we'll get to, the cast is out of this goddamn world. So that all lining up together is pretty exciting. One thing I want to address now is that we were talking about who wrote it. The person who wrote it is Joss Whedon, who also wrote the TV show and a bunch of other shit. Uh, I think I'm speaking for both of us. Fuck Joss Whedon. Um, he has a laundry list of allegations and stories against him about being cruel and narcissistic and misogynistic and unfair on sets and in creative processes and threatening people's careers and being racist. The list goes on from actors who have been in movies basically the entire time he's been working. And it's impossible for that to not color your interpretation of a work to some degree. So while we're not going to go deep into, you know, like Joss Whedon allegation stories or anything, wanted to get that up front that like, that's who wrote it. He also wrote the show. It's a factor in how we're going to feel about this script or whatever else. Um, but there is a lot to get to beyond that as well, which I think will be good for an interesting conversation. So, Liam, I think the first thing that might be beneficial is as the resident Buffy fan for the TV show, can you just give like a short rundown of what the TV show is like? Sure. So um, the premise of the TV show is that a high school sophomore named Buffy moves into a town called Sunnydale. I just watched the Fear Street movies where there's Sunnyvale, so I got to kind of Make Both sure of those I'm places are right real thing. places, I think. <laughs> and there's, yeah, and then there's one called Shady Side in Fear Street, which also might be a real place. So it's confusing stuff. But yes, Buffy. Shady Side sounds the least real of those three things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Sunny Dale is is Buffy. She moves there from uh, California, and Sunny Dale might even be in California. I don't even. But Sunny Dale feels like a small town in the show and and so she's sort of a fish out of water coming into this high school and she learns that she is a slayer which means that she is the chosen one in her generation who has to regularly kill vampires demons 
different sorts of monsters and she is mentored trained and supervised by someone called a watcher who um, in this case is her school's librarian and she has some friends at the high school that she meets and uh, they end up uh, she lets them in on the whole deal and so they're her sort of sidekicks and it's a seven season long show so there's a lot going in there but basically it is just she's got to fight these monsters there's a lot of uh monster lore as there tends to be with these sorts of shows that go on so long so lore picks up steam but really it's about uh coming of age high school stuff uh while also having this sort of monster slaying backdrop to it um and uh in terms of how it differs from the movie which we'll talk about um it it is a fairly dark show i mean if you start watching it now, like season one, you're going to be like, Liam, what the heck are you talking about? A dark show. It's it's so campy and cheesy at the beginning, you know, and it's a TV budget. But as the seasons go on and just its general focus, um, it it's it's darker than the movie, which just means that um, Buffy isn't as ditzy uh valley girl the the comedy doesn't come from that juxtaposition the way that it does in the movies and uh there's a lot of serious relationship building there's a lot of death there's a lot of betrayal um so it uh it has that sort of dramatic feel to it um but it is also it is also a really fun quirky show and so it's i wouldn't call it a hard you know supernatural crime drama um but it, it it has comedy laced in i supernatural is a good comparison if anyone out there has seen that one um it's uh it's it's really good so for comparison buffy the vampire slayer the movie is a high school senior named buffy in an la high school who discovers she is a slayer from donald sutherland who is not a librarian is just sort of a strange man and uh he's not just, playing himself either he's not he's <laughs> he's not this is not just donald sutherland walked on set one day um he is the watcher and then so she <laughs> discovers that she's destined to kill vampires and has like sort of supernatural abilities like knife catching and karate gymnastics and we discover that there is uh, a vampire named Lothos and uh, like a co-vampire named Amelin who are in town and they want to try to take over the town with vampire stuff. And Buffy needs to stop them. And she sort of gets alienated from her friends along the way, but she develops a relationship with this like grungy dude uh, named Pike who has a friend get turned into a vampire and they got to like team up to stop this whole vampire problem. But tonally it's a lot more, uh, joke driven. Uh, the dialogue is really, really snappy. Like every line of dialogue feels like it's trying to be a joke somehow, uh, be it because it's sarcastic or otherwise just trying to be funny. It's very kind of sounds like doing a podcast with you. It kind of sounds like doing a pod. That's the meanest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> the meanest thing anyone's ever said to me is doing a podcast with you sounds like something Joss Whedon wrote. <laughs> oh no. 
Yeah, because we we should establish that even even before all the Joss Whedon stuff came out about who he is as a dude, Corey was already against him. Because what do you know about Joss Whedon's work, Corey? Um, the Avengers. Uh, I just now discovered he wrote The Cabin in the Woods, which is a movie I don't like. Um, and I knew he did Buffy, <laughs> and that's basically it. Right. So yeah. Well, how do you feel about the Avengers? I don't fucking care. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so Joss it's not Whedon, like offensive to me, but like I don't give a shit about that. So before going into this episode, Joss Whedon is O for two with Corey. In my then... mind, literally Joss Whedon was just a dude that sucked. Like that was basically it. Like he hadn't written anything I'd ever seen and liked, and he sucked. That's all I knew. And and you didn't even know that he had written Cabin in the Woods. So no. for you, he like he sucked before you even like knew that you had really flirted with his work. Yeah, he, I didn't know that he sucked professionally. I just knew he sucked as a person. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and for me, um, uh, I mean, Buffy is is big, of course, and so I really liked him in that way. Like, I I looked up to the dude, um, because I knew that his his writing was so distinct, and that he he had such it a sure passion is. for Buffy. And um, but even before that, I was a massive fan, still am a massive fan of uh, a short little web series that adds up to be a about a forty minute short film called Doctor Horrible Sing Along blog you heard of that i've heard of it uh i don't think i could actually tell you what it is though it's uh this really cute little musical um about a super villain named dr horrible played by neil patrick harris who at the time was one of my favorite actors uh i still really like the dude but at the time i was massive into how i met your mother when i discovered dr horrible so dr horrible um played by Neil Patrick Harris. He's this super villain who has a crush on uh, like a neighborhood girl, um, but is also trying to be the next big super villain. He's an aspiring super villain and he's really bad at it. And it is just like, it is the most charming thing. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris, like totally, totally carries it, I think. Um, and Nathan Fillion is, is, in it as uh the cocky superhero and i really like him as an actor too and so that that film whatever you want to call it web series was like huge in my high school life whenever i would be like walking home with my friends or we'd be on a road trip we'd be singing those songs whenever i met a new friend i would show them this thing uh i got like the dvd of it i got a big book that had all the sheet music and production notes in it and so that was massive for me and then of course buffy became massive i became a huge fan of the show angel uh which is a spin-off of buffy i loved that i really like cabin in the woods um I'm and like so, the only person I know who doesn't like Cabin in the Woods. So. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I saw the Avengers and I, I thought it was cool that he was behind it because at that point he was like a Cabin in the Woods guy. I think I think Cabin in the Woods had came out already. Um, and Avengers didn't do much for me because I'm not a superhero guy. I didn't think like much of his the personality of him that I liked shined through. And I think that's just because it, it wasn't uh it wasn't thematically like the sort of venue that I wanted. And then since then I've sort of fallen off the Joss Whedon train. Um, right on time. Yeah. But just because it's been like, I haven't watched Buffy from front to back in probably uh, 
six years or so. Um, I haven't gone back and watched Dr. Horrible in a long time. He hasn't put out anything since Cabin in the Woods that I've been stoked on because he became like superhero dude, right? Like with the Avengers movies and then Justice League, which I'm just not interested in at all. Um, so and it, I'm, and it sounds like the production of that was a fucking nightmare. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so all this stuff has come out. And um, so I still have all these memories of things that he's done that I really like, but I haven't revisited them since learning all this stuff about him and since aging so much myself and having my tastes change. And I got to say, I'm kind of afraid to um, just like just reading an interview with him from 2001 when Buffy was a thing. I just read this the other day and I was just thinking, man, like this dude sounds like such an arrogant. Yeah, uh, it recolors everything. And then when you even see like a new piece of work like the movie it like you can't help but interpret every fucking word as coming from a guy who sucks totally it, it colors your interpretation of it no matter what else the movie's doing um so that's yeah. that's a bit tough and and it's something that uh being a fan of people like this is something that basically everyone is is going to have to deal with at some point and um uh, you know, there are bands that I've listened to that I've loved, adored, and it turns out that the the writers of those music are terrible people. And when that happens, um, I I can't I I really can't go back to the music. There's one band in particular that I just haven't revisited since learning uh, about terrible things that the singer did, and. Um, and I know that I still love that music because it was my favorite band like it's like the the way the writing was done the just the way everything was put together totally appeals to my tastes and so um the same thing with joss whedon is that like okay i know a lot of that stuff is really my thing but i just don't have the urge to revisit it because um I would just feel icky. But beyond that, knowing who was behind the work, like you said, it, it colors the way the work now comes across. Like just thinking about some of the lyrics of this band that I used to love, knowing what I know now, I'm thinking, oh man, I, I can't I can't really appreciate that the way that I used to. And so this Buffy movie is really my first time revisiting or uh, visiting at all anything Joss Whedon did. And so that's also why I was interested to check this out beyond just being a fan of of uh, the concept of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, and it's a different take on it. Like I said earlier, like it's, it's a very colorful movie. It's a very light, tonally movie. It's meant to be funny. Um, it's very sarcastic and self-aware of what it's doing. And that helps make it a bit distinct in that regard it's also very short um it's about yeah. 80 minutes wow yeah uh which is fucking wild that it's as brisk as it is um but something that we have not quite gotten to in its fullness yet is that the cast and crew of this movie is pretty wild um so the director uh fran uh rubel kazooie um Directed a movie called Tokyo Pop from 1988, which I have a meaning to watch forever. So it was weird because I had a familiarity with the name and I didn't know why. Then I looked it up and it was because of that. Um, but then that 
person. She was also a producer on the Buffy TV show and Angel. As oh, you mentioned. I, I did not know that. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, we know who wrote it. Um, cinematography is by James Heyman, who uh, also a producer produced Ugly Betty, the TV show, NCIS New Orleans, and also shot the music video The Lady Don't Mind for Talking Heads. Um, edited. It's got two editors. Jill Savitt. She worked on Premium Rush. There was another Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie, but I forget the name of it. Uh, Gilmore Girls, the TV show. And then uh, Camilla Toniolo, who uh, edited Mildred Pierce and Tokyo Pop also. And then the music is by Carter Burwell, who works with the Coen brothers fucking constantly uh, since their first movie. And um, we've actually heard of him before because he also did uh, both Wayne's World 2 and Blair Witch 2. Um, and Carol and a goofy movie. Hoping he can prove himself with this one. No, he's like it's weird because like he's done a ton of incredible movies and then just some shit. Like it's so weird. And then um the cast of this movie, I think, is where things really shine here. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's truly fucking unbelievable how many people are in this movie. <laughs> um, so we have Christy Swanson playing Buffy. Uh I didn't find a ton of Super interesting credits, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Dude, Where's My Car, Mannequin on the Move, which maybe we should watch on the show. I gotta say, I I looked at her Wikipedia page, and she has a lot of credits there of movies I love. I mean, Dude, Where's My Car is there, Pretty in Pink, uh, Ferris Bueller, but in every case, I can't remember who she was in the the movie. (laughs) Also, uh, just to double down on some of the people who made this suck, uh, Christy Swanson is a Trump supporter. Hmm. Yikes. Don't be friends with Dean Kane. Don't do that, please. Thank you. Okay, moving on. You know who's great? You know who we all love, though, to wash the taste of that out of our mouth? Huh. Luke Perry. Yeah. Shout out to Luke Perry, who needs no introduction. You like Luke Perry? Love Luke Perry, yeah. What's some stuff he's been in? Um, Beverly Hills 90210. Right. Uh, like a TV show, yeah. Yeah, Riverdale, also more recently. Um, yeah, Riverdale is all I know him from when when I started watching Riverdale right at the beginning and he was cast, you know, I kept hearing that, oh, this is the 90210 guy and this guy was huge, but I had never I had never heard of the guy didn't recognize him um, when watching Riverdale. It wasn't like, oh, it's that guy. And then in watching this movie, barely recognized him as well. If I didn't know he was in this movie, I don't think I would have noticed it's him until the prom sequence when he slicks his hair back and he and he goes for the soulless patch where he right i think he's got a really recognizable patch. face personally um but it's worth mentioning he did do a lot of tv fun fact on the other podcast i do we're watching a cartoon called mortal Kombat: defenders of the realm luke perry does a voice on that show nice so i know him from that uh he's in the fifth element um but yeah, a lot, a lot of TV, and obviously 90210, I think, is probably the biggest thing. Uh, yeah, for and, then, and, then, and then Riverdale. I wonder if that eclipsed it. I don't know how big 90210 was back I think in the can, day. 90210 was huge, but like a modern audience would probably know Riverdale better, obviously. 
Yeah, and man, does young him look so much like Archie from Riverdale, from modern Riverdale. It is amazing casting. Yeah. I wonder if uh, when they cast KJ Appa as Archie, they were like, yo, this guy kind of looks like Luke Perry looked in like Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> and they were uh, just like, okay, let's do it, sold. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is really, it's really cool how similar they look. And I never realized it until seeing him young, because I think he looks and sounds quite a bit different um, on Riverdale. And so it's just very, very interesting. But it's it's the eyebrows and like the forehead that's super distinctive, yeah. the way he kind of narrows his his little eyes and his wrinkles, his forehead and stuff. It's, it's, it's cool to see him. Yeah. And also he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood briefly. So people might have seen him in that most recently. That was the last movie that he did. So cool. he gets around. Um, next up on this list of an incredible cast is uh, Donald Sutherland, who kind of needs no introduction. He's fucking Donald Sutherland. I can't believe he's in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be honest with you, Corey. I don't know this guy. I know, I know his <laughs> name. Okay, so he doesn't need an introduction. Yeah, a, a lot of times about <laughs> this introduction, I'm like, oh shit! I, I mean, I guess I should know this person. Um, People might know him more contemporarily from the Hunger Games movies. Uh, he was in Ad Astra for more recent stuff. He is the dad in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. But if you go back to older movies, he's in like Don't Look Now. He's in Clute. He is in a lot of really iconic shit. And he's just had a very long career. So it just kind of adds up that way. Yeah, it's interesting how how some actors can just totally slip by me because the movies that they tend to do just like aren't movies that I, I tend to check out. Um, though I'm looking at uh his little cast list right now i really don't think i've seen him in anything i have seen the first hunger games movie but i don't remember him there um don't look now sounds you, awesome you should probably watch it don't look now i want have you seen it yeah oh man how is it I doesn't it you, have like an amazing ending i think you'd like it wow yeah i think i would like it too so i'm gonna watch that soon and i'm also going to watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 78, which we might do on this show at some point. It applies. I've wanted to see that for a long time. So I just knew Donald Sutherland as being the dad of Kiefer. Like, I recognized his name. Right. And that's how I knew him. And so this was my introduction to him. So we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Next up, Rutger Hauer. I do know him. Okay. I was going to say who didn't need introduction either. Um, most iconic role, obviously, Xehanort in Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> second of course second only to uh the hobo and hobo with a shotgun right and then i don't know maybe he was in fucking blade runner or something yeah the Nobody hitcher cares. the hitcher is my favorite of his oh my gosh the hitcher is incredible um paul rubens is also here he's peewee everybody knows peewee um, not, not in this movie he ain't peewee but well, otherwise yeah, he's a vampire he was a vampire that looks like a fucking brian david gilbert character it's amazing it's one of the funniest looks that any character has ever had that who is brian to... david gilbert oh my god uh so brian david gilbert uh is a writer and creator who now primarily does stuff on youtube but he was in the video department for polygon 
uh, the gaming website, and he did a series of videos called Unraveled, which is probably what he's most known for, which are extremely good. But I'll link you to the video in particular that I'm thinking of. Just visually, it looks like a Brian David Gilbert bit, <laughs> the vampire outfit. Interesting. I wonder if he's commented on that. I would I would love to hear, like, maybe it inspired him a lot as a kid or something, seeing this movie. Okay, we are now through the first, like, five actors. Um... Michelle Abrams plays Jennifer, who is one of Buffy's friends, who is the girl at the beginning of Troll 2. Are you joking? No, it was her first movie. What? Wood Tales Girl. Oh, Mitch, where are you when we I know, meet you? I know. I can't wait for him to discover this. I wonder if he could have plucked that out in seeing Buffy. He was like, oh, there it is. Wood Tales <laughs> Not Girl. Not to be outdone. Paris Vaughn who plays Nikki or Nicole is in the movie pretty smart, which stars the lead actress from Chud to Bud the Chud. Oh my gosh. Not to be outdone. <gasps> Hillary Swank is in the next karate kid. That's right. And in the <laughs> next karate kid, she ends up having to fight that ghoulie from ghoulies three. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, Again, Pretty it'll, soon, it'll all tie into the podcast. Yeah, so a ton of great actors there, just all in a row, just hanging out. Next up, fucking David Arquette, who we love. Deputy Dewey, everybody. David Arquette shows up. Steven Root shows up. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. That was Yeah, that was nice. Both Steven Root and David Arquette look the exact same. They were easy to oh, pick out. They're incredible. Um, Natasha Gregson-Wagner plays Cassandra. She was in Lost Highway. Um, mm. Sasha Jensen plays Grueler. He was in Halloween 4. Okay, that's next on my watch list. That's where me and Brianna are in the franchise. So Yeah, we have Tom Jane. We have Candy Clark playing Buffy's mom, who is in American Graffiti, The Man Who Fell to Earth, Zodiac, Twin Peaks. Um, James Paradise is Buffy's dad. He was in Sleepaway Camp. No, who is he in Sleepaway Camp? Lenny. <laughs> Oh, I don't recognize the name Lenny. Cool. Might be more of a background guy. Yeah. Um, Mark DiCarlo is the basketball coach. He's the voice of Jimmy Neutron's dad, Hugh. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, and then we've got... Honestly, the re the remaining iconic names are all uncredited, but they're all in here. Ben Affleck. Yes. Alexis Arquette. I noticed him. I didn't notice Alexis Arquette. She is the vampire DJ after okay. Slash, who is the original DJ. Cool. Seth Green is one of the vampires. Uh, Ricky Lake, Ginger Marin, Paul Pesco, Daryl Phillip. Again, fucking Slash is in this movie. Um, Fast is out of this goddamn world. Yeah, I guess it's just... Actually, I don't, I don't even know what it is. It's it's so interesting it's to think that that a movie that looks this cheap <laughs> had a cast like that. Well, and so many of them, they they it's not like they would have cost money, right? Ben Affleck, Seth Green, like they were just around at the time. So I guess uh, it's it, maybe it's just a testament to to the sort of movies aspiring actors were able to grab at that time, and then because it's the early 90s enough time has passed that basically anyone who could have grown up to be anyone 
has now done so, right? Like it's 25 years later. Right. And yeah. so Leave enough time has passed, time. we can we can pick them out. Because like Seth Green, he's in the movie for what, like a second? And you can, I don't even know if you could see him. Like I think I read that you see the back of his head. So uh, it, it is really cool that sometimes there's movies like that that just have those people. Uh, like Dazed and Confused is another one where it's just like, he cast a bunch of people and uh, then a lot of them ended up being big. And I guess that's just because like law of probability. Okay, I don't so, know. You know, I don't always include every credit because we'd be here all day, but I'd like to make one exception for this episode. Joanna Ray did the casting. You crushed it. Wow. Okay. F- this is fascinating. Give me some more Joanna Ray credits. Class of 1984. Oh. Twin Peaks. Oh. Um Beverly Hills 90210. Luke Perry. Inglorious Bastards. And Apollo 18, among some others. That's his casting department. Hang on, casting director, there's way more. Hold that hold the phone. What do we I got, got the phone. I'm still holding it. Funny games, Kill Bill <gasps> 1 and 2, Mulholland Drive, Starship Troopers. From Dust Till Dawn, fucking showgirls. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Man. Wow. I've got I've I've gotta read like a Wild top, at Heart. I would Blue love Velvet. to read a, a top. Dooleys! Oh my gosh. <laughs> Conan the Destroyer. Holy shit. <laughs> Firestarter. Wow. Joanna Ray. Holy shit. <laughs> I would love to read like a top five casting directors list and just see who these unsung heroes are. I, I feel like we've stumbled upon one or two in the past where it turns out that they've just like they they they've got the eye for it. They nail it. And uh I, I would love to hear about more of these. Yeah, that's more amazing. These people. What a fucking slam dunk of a career. Yeah, dude, that Ghoulies cast, my gosh. Um Okay, so we're here. It's time to talk about the movie. And I'm going to throw it over to you uh, as the Buffy boy in the chat. What did you think about this roundabout revisiting of Buffy for you? I really liked this movie, um, but I didn't love it as much as the first half led me to believe I'd love it. Um, and I think that's the best summary I can do. First half, when all of the... Really, when I'm trying to get my bearings, I'm bringing in all this baggage of like who Buffy is, what the universe is, what her friends are, what the tone of this story is. Um, I have all that stuff in my head. So starting this movie, I think, should have been the hardest part. And I think that this movie comes out slapping. I think that it sets it up so well. We, we start off with a quick little segment from the dark ages on the screen it says dark ages and we get uh a young woman being told that she is the chosen one the slayer she's she's given a stake and then we really quickly cross cut really cool cross cut to a cheerleader pom-pom and we just get all these bright colors cheerleading uniforms of these high schoolers cheerleading dancing we have like a a dance pop song playing and then the title card comes on over their heads in like pink pastel writing it says buffy the vampire slayer and it is so brilliantly incongruous with what we're seeing on screen like 
that title, that's that's the sort of title that you could walk in, you give that to someone as the pitch, and then you're good to go. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I really think it is such a genius title and the use when did of it. Buffy here, have its run as a name, because it's a great name for a character to have. I know, right? Last time I remember seeing a Buffy is the original scary movie in the year two thousand. And of course that that probably was just a play on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We gotta bring Buffy back. Can we bring Buffy back without the cultural baggage? I think at this point we can. Um, I think people will just think of Sarah Michelle Gellar, who like seems like a badass. And, who is who seems cool? Yeah. yeah, no, I love the title card drop. Right? It's just it's so so clever. It's I saw that and it was like I was hearing the title Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the first time. Like it to- put it into a totally new perspective for me. And from there I was just in. I thought that that was such a, a perfect representation of what this movie's tone is going to be. I felt so fully situated. And then we get the Buffy character played by Christy Swanson and I got to tell you Corey, this has to be I don't know. Top my one like one of my top ten favorite performances, perhaps. I mean, I've seen a lot of performances. Are you saying ever or from the podcast? Uh, Ever. Wow. Um. (laughs) Of course, I'd have to crunch the numbers, and once you get going, there's there's way more than you think there is. But she, I'll put it this way: she is like one of the one of the hundred performances I've seen where I'm like, that's a top 10 performance. Cause I'm sure there's hundreds of them, but even being in that hundred where I briefly think that it could fit into 10 has got to be some sort of honor. I was blown away by this woman. Every single line she said and every facial expression she made in between these lines, her delivery of everything made it seem like so natural but so endearing i think she does wonders with this dialogue whoever wrote it because i know joss whedon is the only credited writer but he was not happy with the movie which is why he went on to to do buffy tv show so who knows where a lot of these lines are coming from sometimes you can tell or it sounds like you can tell sometimes maybe not but regardless whoever's dialogue she's reading every single one she does it like better than i've seen anyone do joss whedon's dialogue i i really do think that and um and then just the charm that she brings to this role i would take her um in like any any teen movie i would put her as the lead in any teen movie i've seen and i think the movie just becomes so much better to me she was a total revelation um, and I was so stoked on her. I would love it if she had been in the Buffy TV series. And that is not to knock Sarah Michelle Geller, who I love. And the character that Sarah plays is very different than uh, this iteration of Buffy. But I think either one could have worked because Christy Swanson really nails the I'm this way, but now I'm presented with something that is out of my comfort zone and I have to adapt and change while still holding on to who I am. And I just think she does it so, so well. And so the entire first half of this movie, I'm just loving it as like a a teen movie, like a Clueless type California vibe. It's amazing to me that Clueless came out three years after this movie. That's exactly what I said. I have a note. I wrote a note that said, I was going to blame Clueless for this, but it can't be that. Yeah, and I... (laughs) It's it, it's it had to have been a strong clueless inspiration, right? Like that is three Maybe. years is a decent amount of time yeah, to it's take tough. inspiration. It's tough because like I don't know how many other movies came out set in like the valley 
that have that going on because the only one that I'm really aware of is Clueless. So I want to associate it with Clueless right away. Um, but I don't know how fair that is in like the grand canon of film. But I would be very surprised if there wasn't something there. And also, yeah, just really quick, I agree. Christy Swanson is like the highlight of the movie, probably. She's incredible in this. And uh, I saw a Letterboxd review where somebody was like, I can't believe that uh, if you look at the cast of this movie, Christy Swanson went on to do like, and it's this movie with like a stupid title. I forget it was like some like lame, cheapo sounding movie. And somebody was like, and Hillary Swank is the one that went on to win two Oscars. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I thought Hillary Swank was not given a lot to work with. <laughs> Yeah, and I think she's charming in the movie. She's cool. I was, I was, I love Hillary Swank. <laughs> I was amazed also that this came out a couple years before the next Karate Kid because I could have sworn that she was younger in the next Karate Kid. Um, uh, but yeah, when it comes to Christy Swanson, um, when I looked her up and realized that she, I couldn't remember in it, her in any of these movies she's been in, and now I'd love to just go back and check them out and see how she does in them because. Uh, um, I saw this and I was like, this woman has to be huge and I'm just not recognizing her because she's young, right? Because holy moly, she is killing it. And so uh, the entire first half of the movie, I just love it as that clueless type teen movie. Uh, you could like also compare it to The Craft where it's just like sort of supernatural bend, but also uh, the I just want to go to the high school at the same time. And the second half, just to I'll just put it short, because I'm sure we'll elaborate. It just it feels like it has to rush towards a climax. Um, I think the hour and 20 minute thing is is is. Uh, is this is negative the, one of the first case. times I'll say a movie is too short. Yeah, I, I think that the climax comes too quickly. Um, and, you know, it's easy for me to say as someone that watched seven seasons of this. And so um, I'd obviously be like, yo, an hour and 20 is not enough time to depict the proper journey of the Slayer. And so I'm not expecting the characters to get to the place where the TV show characters get seasons in. But... Um, I think that there's still a version of this where I could feel more satisfied at the end thinking, okay, that was, that was their first uh, task. That, that was the monster of this week. And I feel really satisfied the way they'd handle it. They handled it. And in my imagination now, like every other movie, I can, I can picture them going on to do this stuff, but I'm still very satisfied at this story. And I didn't quite feel that way. I think the concept and the casting is so good but i think the the villains that they have here just don't don't do it for me uh paul rubin's villain i he just doesn't have like the the villain charm that i think would make something like this feel uh substantial and even rutger hauer like i like his presence but uh, I don't think he's given enough in order to really sell this as like a memorable story all the way through so i i by halfway through this movie i was like this is this has got to be like a nine or a 10 out of 10 and uh the way that the last 45 minutes or so go i guess probably even less than that since it's such a short movie uh but the way the third act goes i it comes out closer to a seven or so um but still i am so happy i watched it yeah i <laughs> 
the longer I've had to sit with it, the less I like it. But I do think I still like it. If you get what I mean. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I think I just like unequivocally. Um, there are some performances that I think are really good, again, namely Christy Swanson. Um, and uh, I think Luke Perry is great, but also I really, really like David Arquette. Yeah. He's not, he's not here for a long time, but it's really good. But it's a good time. <laughs> Pike, Corey, the, the way you Pike. were messaging me uh, during and after seeing this movie about David Arquette, um, I was picking up that this this movie is what sold you on David Arquette, despite the fact that just recently you've seen Scream 4, Scream 1, and Scream 2. And you tell me if I'm wrong, but the way you were talking about David Arquette, it was like you knew that you knew that you liked him in those movies and stuff, but this was like, oh, now I'm a David Arquette dude. Like he's, he can he's show killing up it. So briefly, but leave such an impression. He doesn't have a lot to do, right? And like he's kind of gross. Like he does that weird hot dog bit that's not funny. Um but like he is so David Arquette, not the character, but like he's so charming that I am just disarmed by David Arquette so, every time. So I, so yeah, so I've got to know: is this the way you felt about him going in? And then when he showed up, you're like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I'm gonna get exactly what I just described. Or did this this make you feel that way? I might have already kind of felt that way, but I had mostly seen him play one character before. So this was kind of confirmation that it's like, okay, that applies all the time. You know what I mean? Sure. Because yeah. like, if he's always just Dewey, like I know he can do Dewey, but this is different than that and it's still good. Yeah. And you know what really uh, made me realize that recently? I guess re-realize it because I've had a, I've had a David Arquette phase for sure. But uh, in this last year, I was watching an episode of Ridiculousness on MTV. You the know Rob that show? show. That's right. And David Arquette, for whatever reason, was a guest on the show. Sure. So he, just, so he just came and, and commented on some people like hitting themselves in the nuts and stuff. And he is just so charming he's just like got this presence about him he just seems so affable and uh uh so friendly and like i just want to be in his presence and those are my favorite actors where i just feel like i want to hang out with them we don't even have to be friends but it's just like i want to be around them look up to them in that way and uh david arquette is totally that dude so um i would say if you're if you're looking for that sort of actor, everyone, this movie is is full of them, really. I think I agree with a lot of what you said. I really liked the beginning of the movie. I liked the way it set everything up. I do think the cheerleading scene was too long. It was like three minutes. <laughs> yeah, I I, um, I did feel that as well. movie. <laughs> I felt that. Yeah. Um, but I generally like the opening. But I think as the movie goes on, it loses steam pretty profoundly and the more focus you get toward like the villains which are fairly underdeveloped you're just like oh okay whatever and i think that there are a few portions of the movie where it's like i don't know you want to make it 90 95 minutes like you could have added some I, two things i wanted more of are her and merrick and like the training which is kind of just distilled into like a montage and now she's like okay i'm ready to go i'm doing this now i'm committed like there's a little bit of flakiness and then it's just all in and i would have liked to see if at all possible a little bit more of buffy and pike before they just kind of team up and then it's a thing and then the movie ends you know what i mean um 
in terms of just like defining those characters i would have liked more of that but i also think like to an extent the movie almost like overstays its welcome a little bit which isn't a great sign because it's so short um but you do kind of hit like a terminal limit on a movie that's written in this style because it's it's all like slang and jokes and burns you know what i mean in snappy dialogue that at a certain point like okay i get it fuck like give me a second to breathe here um the more i've thought about it too in the context of being written by joss whedon the less i like how some of it works mostly i think the more i've had to think about it the less i i trust that guy to write these characters and then i'm getting more critical about it as it sits with me um because it's hard to not feel for me now like some of how especially buffy's friends are written is like meant to be funny but it also feels mean (laughs) and like it's not just like a self-aware oh it's the vacuous valley girl stereotype but it feels like a step beyond that in a way i'm kind of struggling to articulate but just that makes me feel kind of weird i don't know if that was a good adequate way of explaining that but something about it just feels kind of weird now that i've had time to sit with it yeah you know what i if the movie had been structured differently i can understand putting those friend characters to the side sort of just reducing them as the to these gags and then focusing on buffy and like her one uh leading man partner who is luke perry and we've got to focus on them to get to the end i can understand doing that but because i don't think the structure of this movie with the action sequences and the real meat of the story i don't think that stuff is fleshed out i don't think it's really shot in a very interesting way um it turns out that the first half of the movie endeared me far more which is just sort of just the 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 teens talking and hanging out and like her talking to murik i also loved that stuff and so by the end i thought okay i think this movie actually would have resonated with me far more if we had more of those friend characters if if they were if they were felt more realistic yeah because i fleshed out i like what the actors are doing too me too and so i i didn't actually realize it while watching but in thinking about the movie i was confused because buffy the tv show has such a strong sense of friendship um the friend group and all the characters that make make it up at any given time because some of the friends you know some friends come and go but there's there's a core group of three people in there which is buffy her male friend xander and willow played by allison hannigan and all those characters are so strong and i was just thinking man this movie really needed that um because buffy's story by itself confronting these vampires uh with luke perry at her side i don't think is given enough time to to feel strong um i also would have liked to see more of her with with luke perry and so by the end i I just thought oh those friends are sort of a missed opportunity not even thinking about 
who the actors are, like who they ended up having. And now I'm yeah. like, oh man, they had Hillary Swank. They really should have done more. But yeah, e- but even at the time, I think I would have felt that way. Shout out to Hillary Swank for doing a lot with some pretty weak shit. Yes. <laughs> Hillary yeah. Swank is really fun. And I, I, I knew it right from the beginning in that long opening cheerleading scene when Buffy is doing her routine. Hillary Swank's character is watching from the stands and she's like so excited and singing and dancing along to the music. And I, I just loved it. Yeah, I actually I have a note that says simply knowing Joss Whedon wrote this makes me like it less. And maybe that's just the feeling I'm feeling. Um, but there's something I can't get around that I may as well address now, which is that so Benny and Pike are like these like grunge dudes who are over it, basically. They're like, we got to get out of this town. This place sucks. It's full of lame, rich people who are vapid and stupid and they're all terrible. But it's distinctly got, especially with Benny, this like incel vibe of like, oh, they're all so hot, though. I wish I could just have sex but I hate them. And I know that like, it's unfair to cast that across the entire movie, but because so many of like Buffy's friends, for example, are so underdeveloped beyond like that stereotype and like joke lines, it feels kind of as if like the movie is somewhat in agreement that like, there is just a group of, people who are rich and live in a certain area and sound like a certain thing and care about certain things like clothes or whatever that are just fundamentally shitty (laughs) and that feels weird because it makes the fact that they're underwritten feel like a consequence of that rather than like a self-awareness of oh we're doing a snappy fun movie and again that's probably colored by just thinking that he, he sucks but maybe that's the feeling that I'm having Maybe, yeah. I I think that time really would have helped uh, in that case. Um, and we just like had more time with these characters. They had more things to talk about because, I mean, just the fact that you have Buffy as your main character and uh, I think she has a lot of dimension to her, um, I think is, is a really interesting idea, a really feminist idea. She does, but also like every key step revolves around a dude (laughs) yeah uh and that was just the fact that like just having luke perry as the has her main guy i already felt put off by that could just like he doesn't because there's not a lot of work done within their relationship for me to buy into it because that's it's totally okay if if he is the character that helps her along but i didn't feel that relationship and so um if it had been the friends who who played that role i think it would have been more satisfying even if now we don't see enough of the friends like like let's say they didn't have time to develop either either of the person that's helping buffy the friends or uh, the dude i think in that case it would still be better to have the friends just because it is less cliche and it's uh, more fulfilling of a message to me i mean we can't forget that this movie was directed by a woman so um and i'd like to think that uh she had some, a, a good amount of input as to how these characters are being portrayed and uh we know that as much as 
Joss Whedon says that the studio or the directors or the actors fucked up uh, the script that he had intended. A lot of times studios mess up directors movies too. And so maybe the director had more in there that would have helped us feel a bit less slighted in the character department. And that stuff got cut out because in the scene you're talking about where uh, David Arquette's character is talking about like how he hates Buffy and her friends, but he also wants to have sex with them. The Luke Perry character calls him out on it. Yeah. Um, And so I thought that was, that was notable. And I think more could be done uh, with that to make us understand where all these characters are coming from, but it just didn't quite feel that it didn't quite hit it. And so I can understand how after this movie came out, Joss Whedon, ended up doing the TV show and the TV show wasn't even his idea. He got asked to do it. Um, and he said, okay, uh, if it's already happening, then I'll help develop it. And then now knowing that the director came on and had a hand producing it, um, that tells me that all across the board, these people were invested in this idea of Buffy, the vampire slayer, but the, the way that it happened in 1992 in this film wasn't as satisfying as maybe, uh, any of them wanted yeah for lack of a better phrase i'd love to see this movie get black christmas 2019 just to see you know like make that argument really explicit and then just see what happens um that would be interesting to me because like you said there's a couple like throwaway comments about it where luke perry's character is like hey what the fuck are you talking about but I'd, I'd be curious to see that version of this. Uh, but I will say to the movie's credit, um, a lot of the dialogue's pretty good. <laughs> like it rolls pretty well. Um, the snappy stuff and like all the, the, the like nineties slang and the calling AMC popcorn bogus corn will stick with me forever because it's extremely funny that's great yeah we could just rattle them off what's the sitch what's your damage I yeah mean, there's a lot of gr- great stuff in here which again i'm thinking of clueless and i'm like it's sick that clueless became huge and quotable because i like i like that movie a lot but how did this not do it three years earlier because like basically all that stuff is here i mean i guess it it has the fantastical element that might have thrown some people off and that's why people didn't see it but just in terms of watching this movie and hearing the lines like all the quotability is is totally there what are you doing here this is a naked place (laughs) and i love i love when the newscaster uh is given the report um (laughs) on someone getting bit and they say that uh it's been said that the wound resembled a (laughs) really really large hickey a really gross hickey yeah and it's i i I really like stuff like that um where it's it sort of feels like it takes place in a world that is just slightly different than ours that people are just like a a bit more loose and um i've definitely seen movies like that where it just gets tiring and overstays the welcome but it, it is a fine line and i think a lot of movies that have that that sharpness to them all the way through with that identity those are also the movies that become so uh well regarded or at least so memorable and uh, this one really did work for me i didn't think that the dialogue um faltered at all i just think it's like the it's more characterization the of everything yeah, yeah. than 
that because like i don't know gary murray party dude or whatever party guy party guy iconic yeah. steven root yeah yeah uh yeah i don't know all i want to do is graduate high school go to york marry christian slater and die that that was absolutely Which honestly, amazing. Same. Who it, doesn't? Uh, <laughs> like, and I I love that that situates it like within the the teen movie realm, and that made it feel more realistic. Because now I'm like, okay, Buffy saw Heather's three years ago, and like thinks it's iconic. Everybody has a crush on Christian Slater now. <laughs> yeah, so I I really like that. I liked that it felt of its time, and I was like, man. Living in 1992 in California, it just sounds so cool. Yeah, every I would wear every single outfit anyone wears in this movie. Oh my god! Any of it. Oh, when it comes to this movie, the fashion. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, like some of the fashion in this movie, like Buffy wearing that toque in the back alley, and like it's like sort of back on her head, the way that a lot of people at least wore toques, maybe like five years ago or so 10 years ago where like the forehead is still showing but yeah oh looked so so cool and then there's like a, a small little fashion sub subplot where she wants to buy a yellow jacket yeah, hillary swank's jacket is sick it's but, so yeah, five minutes ago hillary swank tells her not to buy it because it's so five minutes ago and then later on in the movie hillary swank's character is wearing it and buffy calls her out on it and hillary swank says it's so retro <laughs> yeah which is genius um all the athleisure is pretty good it's a lot of bright colors which is fun um there's this part where she's got the uh buffy has these like narrow sunglasses and like a green like crop sweater that has like 70 psychedelic flowers on it which is sick um there's some great denim everywhere (laughs) uh really good big fan of the looks um even the vampire looks are pretty pretty all right. Uh I like David Arquette's one earring quite a bit and he's got like dyed black hair which I think is good. Lots to love in the clothing department. Yeah, when it comes to the vampires, I think maybe changing that design a bit. Uh they don't have to be any less fashionable, but making them look a bit more monstrous i think could have helped that's something that the buffy tv series does where whenever someone's a vampire their face morphs and scrunches together they have prosthetics on and it just looks a bit more monstrous i kind of liked the lack of the monster look i liked it at first like when we uh first see the vampires but as the movie wore on and i wasn't feeling like the gravitas of these vampire attacks and and i just i felt like okay at least if the vampires were a bit more visually striking that would stick out to be a, a bit more because the action sequences were falling flat so maybe Maybe it's a case of uh, you don't actually have to change the vampire thing. It's just a problem with the whole I'm having. But yeah. Um, quick question that maybe you can answer from the TV series. They tell so Buffy is a vampire slayer. We've established that. Um, why can anybody kill a vampire? By the end, Luke Perry's kill on a vampire. Nicole kills a vampire. Like people are just killing vampires. But I thought only Buffy could do that because that's the whole reason Merrick isn't getting involved. If anybody can kill vampires, then what are we fucking doing here? 
That's a really good point that I actually don't think I've heard anyone make before. <laughs> um, I, and I understand your confusion, but it is a bit misguided. So the Vampire Slayer is not the only person who can kill vampires. It is just she is by way of, you know, I don't even I don't know what exactly what makes you a slayer. Um, but she is just the most capable. She oh, okay. has the knife catching abilities. She has the gymnastic abilities. She has the determination. She has the heart. And so it she is the type um, she is the person where she just has it in her to like go out every night, uh, sacrifice. She has to sacrifice. Now I'm talking about the show a bit more, but like she has to sacrifice a lot of relationships, a lot, a whole lot of time in order to kill these vampires. I mean, she definitely does that in the movie as well. The right. principal thinks she's on drugs and all of her friends. That's right. Her. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean? so, so it's just like she she has been chosen because uh, something out there thinks she's capable of the grind, but also capable of the physicality and so anyone can kill a vampire but like she's the only one that could take on 10 of them at once like she does a bit later on you know so that's what that is right i think it's pretty sick how uh they managed to make that keen what sets you apart is my keen fashion sense line not a one-off they do try to bring it back yes which i appreciated with the hairspray um i appreciate that they made an effort oh un- unrelated back to the cool outfits uh pike wearing a biker jacket over a vest to that dance was pretty metal looks kind of fucked up but in a way i kind of like <laughs> yeah Definitely that dude a weird fit carving his own path i respect it's- that <laughs> it's so funny too because i don't know if you noticed this but when merrick dies it's the only scene that he's in a different outfit in outside of the dance. And it's just his regular outfit, but everything's black. <laughs> like I he's in a like, grieving outfit. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love the, how colorful this movie is. The fashion, of course. Uh, the movie knows to just like have fun with it sometimes, you know, like the like you said, conversations with Merrick are all really good. Oh yeah. We got to talk about those for a second, man. Cause we, we just get Donald Sutherland who I love. Like I said, I didn't know him beforehand. And I read uh, on the IMDb trivia that Joss Whedon had a problem with him, had a problem with like Fucking the way he was he did. treating his dialogue and it's stuff. Donald and he was Sutherland. he was improvising. But I'm telling you, I didn't I didn't know that going in, and I thought that Merrick was such a presence and uh, I loved the way he was regarding Buffy. And then when they actually get into these talks, I just absolutely loved the contrast of this really like talkative sort of um uh flippant girl talking to this really hardened dude who has lived for hundreds of years and then this girl who like is just living in the moment all the time uh it was absolutely brilliant like um (laughs) when she's telling him that she doesn't want to be the chosen one and she of course wants to marry christian slater and he and he uh points out to her that uh part of how he knows she's the chosen one is because of a birthmark she had and she says oh that hairy mole that 
I have to re- had to remove. It was gross. And then a bit later on in that same conversation, she says, I don't want to be part of your hairy mole club. And uh, and and then uh, there's a, a training sequence where he's talking to her and she has a great line that says, does the word duh mean anything to you? Which is just amazing. But then a little later, Donald Sutherland makes some sort of uh like joke and uh and she says was that a joke do you want to lie down i know it's the first time but it was a it was a good joke and you you guys have to hear the way she says and it's a good way of building the rapport yeah we we don't get enough of that i think so it's nice that like you can tell in her delivery that there's been a building up there oh yeah they Um, really they really sell it oh my gosh i just loved it would benefit from more time spent with them beyond just like the montage that we get because she goes from very much not wanting it to just being all in and i would have liked to see a bit more of the process of that happening because it's not like they didn't have the time the movie's 80 goddamn minutes long like they could have given that space to breathe and i think that might have been nice um but you know they're they're great together um and i am the really big moment that stands out to me that isn't dialogue or uh, outwardly performance-based at all, um, and it, I wish the movie had been more of this in the second half. It's the it, Paul Rubens death scene. <laughs> no, not him. <laughs> it's uh, after Merrick dies at the hands of a vamp. Um, Hundred-year-old man, 100, 200, I don't know exactly, really old dude, and he dies, and Buffy loses the person that has now brought her into this life, and there's this uh, brief scene, it's maybe 30 seconds long, and it's just Buffy and uh, Pike sitting in this large, dimly lit room, and Buffy is sitting down by herself, and uh, Pike is sort of uh, a few feet away, gazing out this large window, and um, it's right after Merrick dies, and it's just like they have a a quick minute where you just like feel what they're feeling, but nothing is spoken. It's all done through visual storytelling, and uh, no dialogue at all. So it just it gives the movie and the characters a second to breathe, and it gives the audience a second to uh, put into perspective what has just happened. And I I wish that the movie had been more stuff like that because otherwise the movie is just go 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 and i think that works for the first half because uh you're getting a handle on this world and and the way the characters talk and all that but i think the second half uh just feels a bit too cliche action movie uh without actually having the the um formal impressiveness of an action movie um and uh that's where i was let down but but there was little glimpses within the movie um all the way through where i'm like this movie could have been like one of the best movies ever made the cast is there i really do think the writing is there um the writing of the climax isn't there but i don't know how much of that was changed like on the spot or in editing because of constraints or or whatever but i really think all the factors are here. It just needed to be mixed and arranged in a different way. Yeah, it's got the pieces, generally. Um, like, some of it, like we said, feels maybe a bit suspicious um, or weird, and especially with just the Joss Whedon knowledge. And some of it's just not given enough time. Um, 
but it's got a lot of good pieces and there's plenty of it that is fun to watch. Um, also, a uh, timely message about climate change. Yep. The that earth was is in really terrible great. shape. We can all die. One of the most immediate problems facing the environment. Litter? Bugs? <laughs> Forest fires? Which I mean... Honestly, one of those is right they're, they're on the right track um, yeah. i love that and i loved the running joke of what their catchphrase needs to be for uh this uh the dance that they're putting together and um one of them suggests that it should be uh don't tread on me with a picture of the earth yeah I know. and then and then buffy says like uh wait but how do you how do you not tread on the earth you kind of have to right and then her friend goes Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. And then a bit later, uh, you see a big banner, a big colorful colorful banner on the gym floor that just says, hug the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like some of that's definitely fun. Some of it doesn't always land the best way, but stuff like that is fun. Um, I love that this movie doesn't give a single fuck how bad the wire work looks. It's extremely charming. All the floating and flying just looks like they tossed a dude on some wires and called it a day, which I really, really genuinely like. Um, like Pike hanging outside the window or like, I believe there's a bit in that like cemetery as well, but just like, it looks really great. It's really charming. Yeah, I, I dig that too. It it recalls our favorite scene from Wayne's World too, which was yes. the uh, the martial arts wire it, fighting scene. It does, yeah. God, that scene where Pike's just hanging outside of the window. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I think yeah, I, I think it fits the tone of the movie so well because the TV series doesn't have that. Um, it's it's a lot more choreographed and like serious in its fights. I mean, you're you're definitely gonna have goofy stuff from the late '90s, but um, but there's not a vampire with a katana fighting a high schooler with a flag. Right. And yeah, lean it, leaning into that stuff, I think, I think really does work. And so maybe a bigger emphasis on that would have even sold me more. And I, I really just think like the villain characterization or, or even casting in Paul Rubin's case needed to be a bit different. What did you, how did you feel about Paul Rubin, Rubin's as, uh, as his vampire? Um, it's all right. I wasn't like head over heels in love with it. It's but like some of it's funny. But it, I don't know. I don't have I don't have strong feelings about it really. Yeah, I don't really either and I think that's the problem. I mean, when you only have basically two big villains in this movie. I mean, one is working for the other. Uh you got Rutger Hauer as what's his name? Lobos, Lothos, Lamos, Lothos. Lothos, yeah. And then you have Paul Rubens going onto Earth and doing his dirty work. I think both those characters really have to have a strong presence about him. And I just thought that Paul Rubens, like one, he just looked goofy. Um, I guess he looked he like looks one like of those fucking, comedic he, characters. Like He looks said. like Hugh Brandity. <laughs> is, is that the name of the dude? 
It's the name of the character that I sent you the video to. That's it's like right. You branded it. Yeah, and I just think like that was just a a mistake. Um, and uh, he doesn't get a whole lot to do, and the stuff he does get, like the bits of dialogue he he gets, like some of them are are a little bit funny, but it feels like C list henchman, where like he needs to be at least a B list henchman, and he doesn't, and he doesn't get there. And ideally, I think he should be. He should feel like an A-list henchman, and then Rutger Hauer is like an A-plus villain. Yeah. And I just, I didn't, I didn't feel it there. And so, like the the scene of him on top of Luke Perry's car and uh, stabbing into the into the roof and stuff, like I just, I didn't feel it from a filmmaking perspective. Like the way it was shot didn't didn't have any sort of tension. And then the character, he, I think he just looks really goofy but in a way that isn't entertaining it just feels a bit flat and so uh that he was a letdown for me i gotta say yeah i think so too overall um yeah the the whole villain angle the the best part is how committed this movie is specifically to the bit of vampire war that you have to invite them inside because like that whole gang of seniors shows up to the dance and they just stand at the door <laughs> oh. they're like hey let us in please yeah and honestly <laughs> um there was one particular senior there uh the dude who is playing basketball um and ben affleck takes the ball from him or ben affleck gives him the ball i don't know uh, to be honest i did not even notice ben affleck <laughs> Yeah, he just he just gets like one line. He says like, "Oh, here, you can just have the ball, man." And uh um yeah, there's there's one senior that gets turned into a vampire who isn't David Arquette, who I who I yeah, also really like. Man. Yeah, basketball man. And I I honestly think uh just based on the way the movie panned out that it would have been better if the vampires she had to kill were just high schoolers and and maybe he was like the main bad high schooler uh the main bad vampire i'm sure there's a lot of bad high schoolers the main bad vampire um and then it would have felt more seamless in that it's a teen movie with vampire threats because as it is um i feel like these like otherworldly really old vampires coming into this movie uh it just feels a bit incongruous and it's just less of what i'm interested in like my favorite stuff even in the buffy tv series are like the uh the just the the main cast interacting um and i i I can't really be arsed with like the the more fantastical deep lore villains and stuff and so i think uh if the villains had been high schoolers, I think that would have been a bit more interesting for me as well, just because Rutger Hauer doesn't really get enough time to, to do his thing. Yeah. If you got Rutger Hauer ringleading a group of vampiric high schoolers, sign me up for that. Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be really, really cool. But, but as it is, it's just like a bit jumbled because you've got Paul Rubens under, Rutger Hauer and then you've got these high schoolers turning into vampires that are running amok by themselves and it's just I think we've got 
you know how in high school when you gotta have group projects and like <laughs> your teacher will be like okay this person is the writer this person is like the writer person this person has gotta take care of the pictures and then there's one person that's just meant to be the supervisor like they've got to make sure everyone's on track and i think some there needed to be a villain supervisor and i think rutger hauer was supposed to be that but the work isn't really done there it feels like they didn't have him for enough days or the movie again didn't have enough runtime or or what have you yeah also we haven't talked enough about the last thing i feel like i i desperately need to address is how funny the coach is (laughs) like the basketball coach is like i am a person i have a right to the ball (laughs) yes that's the game plan it's just like (laughs) get out there and like believe in yourself and while play basketball (laughs) assert your personhood actualize yeah those are really good bit yeah those are tiny things where it's just like that sets your movie above and beyond and so it's a shame that this movie has so much of those but then i can't quite buy into it as a whole you know yeah also buffy stealing the motorcycle sick that set that they end up in that sort of looks like a junkyard sick um oh yeah the fair set like the carnival set that one's cool too buffy throwing that jock over her shoulder and slamming him into some lockers sick um i don't know i think i've addressed everything uh buffy lying on top of luke perry uh, at the end of a fight and saying that they should probably get out of here but also they're gazing longingly to each other's eyes that was sick uh the joke about young republicans at the end sick <laughs> getting absolutely smashed christy swanson <laughs> pointed also the credit song sick it's a cover of uh we close our eyes by oingo boingo <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty tight did you see the little uh, mid credit scene? Yeah, where it's just like Paul Rubens as a vampire sort of writhing around oh, on the no, ground yeah, in sorry, slight pain. Yeah, that's the other credit-based scene. Yes, they had an even longer death scene for Paul Rubens. Yeah, and that, and that's pretty funny. And it's also, it's the sort of thing that it's like, okay, this is this is the showing that the filmmakers had fun and they pr- were probably like cracking up at Paul Rubens. So I understand yeah. why he's in the movie, but it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hit with me. Yeah, no, I feel similarly. Um, But I feel like that kind of covers it. Like, my overall thoughts are, it's fun. I especially like the first half. I find quite a bit of it charming. It falls apart near the end as things don't get developed enough. But even within, like, this self-aware, snappy funniness, there's this weird Joss Whedon-based feeling that makes me wonder to what extent it's self-aware and funny and how much of it some of it feels to me like it's actually just mean spirited rather than fun but i have to sit with those feelings longer i think before i can articulate them any better yeah and and my takeaway is that it is it is both a lot better than i thought it it could be. I mean, I'm just amazed that this has actually been around all this time and I'm just finding out about it now. And like, truly, Christy Swanson absolutely blew me away. Um, and so much of that dialogue in the first half is amazing. So I'm surprised that all that is is in there and I didn't know about it. But um, on a whole, it's actually sort of what I feared, which is that 
I was a fan of Buffy seven seasons at the time, right? And I was thinking, if there was a TV show five years before this, or sorry, if there was if there was a movie five years before this, and then they decided to do the TV series, there's no way that the movie is a good telling of this story because it's a movie. It's it's gonna be two hours or less, and you can't. I don't think you. I didn't think you could do what the show was doing in two hours or less. It's like there's just there's no way you can have that feel like it it pays off there's so much where you've got a a girl who is set in her own ways and she's just a regular teenage girl you know it's like the harry potter thing they needed like eight movies to do that or at the very (laughs) least with with the philosopher's stone they needed like a two and a half hour movie to do it from him going from just harry to who he has to become and so um this movie just doesn't have the the wall up that it ought to have uh for this story and some of that might just be the constraint of its uh, movie and so i come away from it still thinking that the tv series is the best form was the best form to tell this story in but i am so glad that this movie exists because of the cast that's assembled because of all the lines that made me smile and because that first half as a teen movie is just is just firing on all cylinders and uh i'm really glad i saw it i'm gonna start wearing like a silk ribbon bow to bed that's my big takeaway (laughs) (laughs) nice i didn't know that was a thing people did but bold fashion choice oh yeah she she looked so good man i got such a crush on her i gotta say yeah fair well, I guess that's it then. <laughs> I guess that's it. Um, well, we know what's next. That's right. Do the, do, do the listeners know what's next? Uh, Unmasked Part 25. Unmasked Part 25, everybody. This is the, the farthest into a franchise we're going. We're going to the 25th part. Oh, my gosh. And for anybody who doesn't know, that came out in 88. And um, looks pretty sick. I don't know a lot about it. Oh, you haven't seen the other 24 parts? No, somehow I've managed to kind of miss it. It's also a shorty, so we'll have a lot of time to uh, get to some stuff. Or rather, hang on, that's not what I meant to say at all. I meant to say, like, it's a short movie. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that the movie's short. Uh, also, like the movie we just watched is. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back out of this sentence before I uh, drown in these words. How much could they have to say after 24 other parts? Yeah, you'd think they maybe got the point across. <laughs> Yeah, this this is probably more of an epilogue, a little addendum. So we'll keep that in mind. Yeah, and then after that, uh, we are getting to a recap. And uh, we would absolutely be curious to hear from anybody who uh, has been following along through season two. Movies you loved, movies you didn't like, episodes you liked, um, things that stuck out to you. Uh, You have a couple weeks to get that stuff in. Um, I'll see if maybe I can turn on voice messages on Anchor if it's not already on, if anybody wanted to do that. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Or uh, you can email us tmaopodcast.gmail.com or tweet at us or something. And we'll try to include some of that if anybody's got stuff to say. But we're looking forward to doing that too. Uh, no Genero for at least a couple weeks, but it will be back. Do not worry. And um, Mitch will be back too. But I think that's everything for this one. I think we're done. That sounds good. Big, big season finale plans next week, everybody. So get stoked. Okay, I'm going to leave everybody with an affirmation right some advice to to live with okay people they're psyching you out let's not be so defensive out there okay now
What do we say on the court? Repeat after me. I am a person. I have a right I, to the ball. I am a person. I have a right to the ball. I am a person. I have a right to the ball. I am a person. I have a right to the ball. All right, let's get out there. Woo! Woo! Go team. Let's go save the rec center. Now, uh, before saving the rec center, do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah. Uh, got my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price, and you can listen to another podcast where I talk about Luke Perry uh, called MK PodQuest with our friend Neil. We are watching Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm. <laughs> That's MK PodQuest everywhere you can find it. It's true. I was just selling it as another podcast where I talk about Luke Perry. I mean, <laughs> I might be overselling it a bit. We talk about Luke Perry every week. <laughs> Yeah, but it's kind of a big letdown for people who think you're going to be like, oh, sweet, this is going to be LP, Mortal <laughs> Mortal Perry Quest, the first ever Luke Perry <laughs> podcast. Oh, no, I got to sift through all this Mortal Kombat stuff to get to the he's soul in, patch himself. He's in the episode that we're talking about. He's in the show we're talking about right now. I get we're it. We're talking about Luke Perry 13 <laughs> times. I'm going to tune in. You guys had better give me some good Luke Perry content. What's your sitch, man? You're acting like the thing from another tax bracket. It's too weird. <laughs> Good ref. Good ref, bro. Tight. Thank you. Um, I am the chosen guy. And on that note, uh, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet. I am the chosen guy. <laughs> you know Twitter. what? A Black Christmas 2019 type remake of Buffy would would be a pretty good idea if, consider this, it would make the remake worth happen. If instead of Buffy the Vampire Slayer being the chosen one, they instead had a chosen guy. And it was a man vampire slayer. Manpire slayer. That's what the people want. Yeah, that's what we need. We need to make Buffy a man. Pitch it. Finally. Finally, representation for dudes. The chosen guy. Let's go. <laughs> uh, where did I leave off? Twitter. They made another. All one word. Letterboxd. TMAO. Uh, you can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. As mentioned, you can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com. Recommendations for future episodes, question, comments, and how you think they should reboot Buffy. Um, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And um, Unmasked Part 25 next week, so you've got a little bit of time to catch up on the other 24 movies in that series. And uh, with that out of the way, we'll catch you here next time for more. They made another one? <laughs>